Well, before we get back to studying in the book of Ephesians, we will be, as we often do at the beginning of each year, we, we tend to do a series called the Conduits of Grace. And those conduits are kind of those gifts of His grace, those avenues of His grace that He pours out upon us. And when we think of those graces, it's not that initial grace that we receive when we're far from, the, from Christ and far from the Lord, and He rescues us, and He pours out His grace upon us, and we, we find forgiveness, and we, we see the, find the righteousness of Christ, that we are made right with God, and we are, have a right relationship with Him. But these graces that we have throughout our life that He pours out upon us, and that He, he offers us to us, these gifts of His grace found in, in His Word, and spending time before Him, and that He speaks um, through our time in prayer, through the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, there are avenues of His grace poured out upon us. And we always begin that way. And, and this year, we're, we're going to connect it also with the, our different commitments that we has, have as a church, as we think about what are we to do? Um, how, do we, how do we figure out what ministries to do, or how to encourage one another, and how to, to walk together? And we think of four different commitments that we have, and they're represented by our, our, our little um, circles that we have, and they're, they're on the back wall as well, just reminding us of these things that kind of help guide us. And we have that idea of worship, um, which is that first circle, that we want to worship God passionately. We want to be those who are worshipers of God. That's what we're called to. And then connecting the, the puzzle piece. We want to be able to connect with one another authentically. And I would say connect and also care we want to care for one another authentically. And then we have the, the tree, which is grow. We want to grow to, to know God deeply. And I'd also say add the word love, to grow to know and love God deeply, and then to go. Um, to go and show the gospel, both show and speak the gospel boldly. So we're going to use those and think of those as those instruments that God uses in our life. And typically, too, as we have talked about these conduits of grace, uh, we'll go back, and, and some of you are going to be familiar with this, and others will be new, but the illustration that I think is helpful as we think of these avenues of God's grace that He offers up to us, these gifts that He offers to us that we can grab onto and that He freely gives. And it's out of that idea of being on that cruise ship, if you remember, and uh, there's someone, one, uh, someone on the ship, maybe one of your friends, falls off the side and, and survives and is in that water, treading water, um, just treading water, if you remember that picture, uh, treading down there, and you run back in the boat, and you get a life preserver, and you throw it out, or a lifesaver, and you throw it out, falls right next to them, and they're treading water, and you're like, grab on, and they're like, no, it's too small, that's, that's for kids, I need something else, and they keep treading, and then you see, you run back in, remember, you run back into the ship, and you get that, 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 inflatable raft somehow you find one you inflate it you throw it out lands right next to them and you're like get in the raft and they're like they're like i'm too busy treading water and you're like just get in and that's where you go like okay i'm gonna go in remember you go in the raft and you reach your hand out to them and you're like come on grab my hand there's rescue here and they're like i don't know i don't really like people and they just keep just treading water and sometimes in the christian walk we we do that. We tread water, and there's these avenues of God's grace, and we're like, nah, I just kind of, I'm doing it. I'm all good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, but he, he hands out these things, and today we're going to talk about worship, um, the avenue of worship. And we are, we are those who are worshipers at heart. And some of you, too, may 
remember that I've talked a couple times maybe about uh, my first car. And all of us remember our first car, no matter how horrible it was or how wonderful it was. Uh, but I had a, an 81 Ford Mustang. And if you remember, 80, the 80s Mustangs, they're not, they're not necessarily the coolest of the line of Mustangs. But I had one that was a sports model, had a spoiler, a scoop, it had louvers, it had a racing stripe, it had chrome wheels. I went to Radio Shack and bought some bigger speaker boxes to put in the back, and I had a tape deck, and it was, it was amazing. And I figured out how to use my portable CD player to, to get a, a, a track in, or use a, a, a tape deck and get it all working, and I had good music going on. I loved uh, my 81 Mustang. I would wax it. I'd wax on, wax off, and wash it. You know how it goes. And um, and I thought, man, I love this so much, I wouldn't want anyone to steal it. So I'm like, well, I've got to put a, 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 an alarm in it. So I bought a cheap alarm, I think at Radio Shack as well, and put it in. And I just, man, he might, it's possible that I worshipped that car a little bit. And then um, one day, though, uh, it was either an elementary school student or a junior high student walked by, and I, I turned on, off my alarm, and it went, cheep, cheep. And he, he started laughing. He's like, I can't believe you have an old car with an alarm. And I thought to myself, <gasps> maybe I put a little bit too much value and worth into this vehicle, that it's really not the value. But we're worshipers at heart. We, we, put, we ascribe value and worship to things that just aren't worthy of it. But we are made to be worshipers. We're created for that. We do that, and yet sometimes we, we worship in a lot of wrong ways, or really, really sinful ways, that leave us, in the end, they leave us empty. They leave us really, in the end, far from God. They leave us continuing to be looking, continuing to be longing. And the things that we worship other than God, actually, they end up make it really bad gods, and yet we still put weight upon them. And sometimes there are things that we ascribe worship to that we also put a burden upon them that they could never uphold. Sometimes we do put too much weight and worship upon possibly a relationship or a spouse or our kids or a job or whatever it might be. And we want them to kind of then reciprocate and fulfill us and we put a weight upon them that they can never fulfill. We're created to worship, but we're created to worship the one true and living God. And in that and in Him, there is great joy and there is great hope. And we're a society that's full of worship. Social media makes it really clear. You can just see what people worship. And yet we're still of people filled with anxiety and emptiness and depression. It's because we've rejected the one true God and true reverence of Him. And, and we've put it on a lot of other things that leave us empty. So this gift of worshiping the one true God is a huge gift of His grace. So we need to look through and think through, well, what is worship? And we're going to answer some questions of why do we worship? What, what does it mean to worship? That's a good question, too. Sometimes it's hard to answer, what is worship? And then what, is it, what does it look like to worship God? And how can we become, just grow in our worship? with God, or to God. So begin, being at the beginning of why. Why worship God? Why do we worship Him? Why would we want to worship Him passionately? Well, well, we worship God because of 
who God is and what he's done. You could say the character of God and the works of God because of who he is and what he's done. And it should drive us to worship. And there's just so much in scripture that tells us. And even if we were to ask one another stories of God's goodness and his grace, we'd be able to share it and hopefully it would drive us to worship. But I think if even in our passage today, kind of our key passage in Romans 11, 30, let me read 33 through 36. We see these depths of riches that are found in our God. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments. How inscrutable your ways. So for God is such a, he's profound and deep. His wisdom and his knowledge is beyond us and beyond anything we could imagine. He is God. I think of Ephesians. As we've been walking through Ephesians, there's several times that talk about the riches of God and the depth of our God. And one of those is in Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, that speaks about the grace, the depth of his riches of grace that are found in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood in Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So he has this depth of riches of grace that he pours out upon us, lavishes upon us. Ephesians 2, 7 says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So just speaking again of the immeasurable riches of his grace. And then in Ephesians 3, chapter 8, Paul just continues with the, these riches in Christ. To him, to me, he says, Paul speaking about himself, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he said, even in Christ, there's just unsearchable riches. You can never get to the, the bottom of it. They're unfathomable. Jesus is, is such, and our God is such, that he has no need. He is never in need. All that he needs, he has. He's the source of all things. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, even, even before all creation, had all that they needed. They had perfect fellowship and perfect love and, and it put forth all of creation that they created out of that love and that fellowship. So God, he's not in need. He doesn't need anything. It's kind of like uh, Elon Musk who owns Tesla. If he, you wouldn't see him say, oh, I think today I'm going to go to a dealership and, and buy a Tesla. No, he doesn't do that. He probably just sends a little email, bring, bring the newest thing, you know, whatever. He, there's, our God, he needs nothing. Um, there's a depth of his riches. And then there's also a depth of his wisdom um, and his knowledge. And we, we read about that. And we talked about that earlier in Romans, that end of Romans 11. Also, Isaiah 40, verse 28 speaks about that. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. Uh, if we could we could figure out everything about God, he wouldn't be a very great God, right? Then we think of the depth of the actions and thoughts of God. They're unsearchable. They're inscrutable. We read that. John read that earlier. There's just such a depth to it. Then I think of the depth of his mercy, his grace, his loving kindness of our God that's seen both in his character of who he is and also in his redemptive work in the gospel. We see the mercy and grace and loving kindness of our God. We've gone several times back to the Old Testament to see that. And I want to remind you again, I hope these verses are ones that as we think
think about them again and again and again, they kind of sink into our heart of who our God is. And we think of the, the depth of His mercies and grace and His glory. Think of that of when Moses said to God in, in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 33, he said, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, or the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. Remember, Moses says, show me your glory. He says, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. It's goodness displays the glory of God. And then when God passes by him, do you remember what God leads out as he passes by Moses? Be reminded again, he says, the Lord, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Through God, he's just full of love and also one who is just. Merciful. So we look at all those things, and it should really well up in us a worship of God, of His goodness and His mercy, and even that He's a just God, He will also deal with sin. And we should be brought to worship. But I think sometimes we are so hurried and so busy, it's hard for us to be still and even know and think of who God is. This is a quote by... um, Chuck Swindoll, some of you guys know Chuck Charles Swindoll from a book called Intimacy of the Almighty. It said, tragically, precious little in this hurried... Now, this was written back probably in early 90s, I think. Tragically, precious little is in this hurried and hassled age promotes such intimacy. And that's probably increased just the hurried and hassledness. We have become a body of people who look more like a herd of cattle in a stampede than a flock of God beside green pastures and still waters. Our forefathers knew it, it seems, how to commune with the Almighty. But do we? We must learn how to think deeply, to worship meaningfully, and to meditate unhurriedly. Just meditate unhurriedly, even that alone. And we just don't do that well. May we meditate on who God is, that it might break forth in worship. Well, what does it mean then, to worship God. What does it mean to worship Him passionately? What does it mean to worship God? And I think that's a hard question, and we can come up with all sorts of different things, but we must begin and look at Scripture and say, what does Scripture tell us? What is worship? And that's why we have, have already read and focusing in on that passage in Romans, because it speaks and uses three different words that tell us about worship. And some of this so it might be a little review, but hopefully it r- reminds you again of these things. And the first one is glory. We see that in verse 36. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So glory. Uh, Paul breaks forth in worship and he speaks about the glory of God. And to glory, this is the word that is, in Greek is doxa, which we get doxology. It means to glory, to praise, to honor. It's this idea that we need to extol or ascribe and give praise, give glory, give honor to God, because He's worthy. Our God is glorious, and He's worthy of praise. And in context, in Romans, the first 11 chapters, He's just speaking about God's redemptive plan, of His rescuing us who are sinners through Jesus Christ. And as He gets to the end of it, He can't help but just break forth in praise and ascribing glory to God. And we give glory to someone in, in words, in our deeds, because they're worthy. We find importance in them. 
and we give significance to something, if we want to glory in something, and we do that to God, we give Him praise in our, our words and our actions because He's worthy. He's worthy of praise. And you think of even just examples, if we, we go somewhere that, that's beautiful or we have a wonderful trip or we see a great movie, what do we do? We want to speak about it. And our God, as we grow in our understanding of who God is, hopefully we want to speak about Him and, and give Him glory and point other people to Him. And we give glory to that which in our life is most supreme and treasured and cherished. And we give them glory. And I think some of the ways that we can even see what we glory in is the way that we, we, where we spend our time and our money and our energy. And we can often in that see what we glory in. Um, social media, you can scroll through someone's face and fa- a Facebook page or Instagram and you can see what they glory in. Um, it, it's a pretty easy. It helps us see those things too, and even in our own life. And as I was thinking about this, I was also thinking of this idea of glory and looking at someone's life and being able to see what they glory in. And I was reminded of a couple months ago, um, we were asked if we could host a funeral. As Dee's, her neighbor, had passed away and their church didn't have a really great space to, to host the, the memorial. So they came and had that here. And, and the woman's name is Ruth. And she'd passed away, but she loved Jesus. And her son came and gave testimony to this. And he had spoken about how for many years he'd, he'd walked away from the Lord and was in rebellion and living way far from God. But his mom was just faithfully prayed and shared Jesus again and again and again. And, and he, the last, I think, three or four years, he, he said he's been following Jesus. And his life has just been changed. And he said about his mom, he said, if you know my mom, you know she loves Jesus. Anyone who knew my mom knew she loved Jesus. And may that be how it is in our life. That they see, people see our life and say, ah, oh, they're about Jesus. So glory. And then we have another word as we continue. Verse 1 of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in, by the mercies of God or in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. So we have this word, to present or to offer. Maybe your translation says offer, but present, to dedicate. Paul says, in view of all that God has done, may we present, may we decisively dedicate, yield ourselves to God in worship. So there's this huge commitment, this sacrificial commitment of giving life. It's this all-in idea of worship, of yielding oneself. And it it is that idea. It has that picture of sacrifice. And and, and we're a people that we, we don't think a lot about offerings of of sacrifice of of animals but in that time both jews and gentiles the idea of sacrifice and animal sacrifice would have been really clear to them one commentary said this first century people were familiar with the offerings of sacrifices whereas we're not they had stood by the altar they had watched an animal as it was identified as their own as it was slain in a ritual manner, its blood manipulated, and the whole or part of the victim burned on the altar and ascended in the flames to the deity they worshipped. To suggest that they themselves should be a sacrifice was a striking piece of imagery. So this picture of offering yourself as a sacrifice to God. So it's not a partial thing, it's an all-in thing. And even though that in some way, or in a lot of ways, we're, we're far removed from that animal sacrifice. But at the same time, we, we use that language even in simple ways. Uh, like if you really love a sports team, like it, when I was in Kentucky, people loved UK, and they would say, man, I bleed uh, blue and white. Or it, 
I, I don't think recently, we wouldn't say very often um, that we bleed blue and orange anymore. We're like, they're kind of embarrassed about that. But, but um, and that might change next year. I hear some news today. But anyway, blue and orange, you can see we bleed our colors of something we, we identify with, that we have an identity with. So this idea that's even greater, that our identity is in, in our God, yielded to Christ. And it's also public. It's not hidden. It's not private. It's a declaration that we are Christ, yielded to him. And then sacrifice, and there's that word of sacrifice. Offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're, we sacrifice, we, we give up. It's intentional. It's costly. It's a giving. It's a demonstration. And often we demonstrate that through how we use our time and our money and our talent, our treasures. How do we use those? Or do we sacrificial and costly give that others might know Jesus, that others might be pointed to him, that others might worship him? When we were overseas, a lot of times, I would, especially I feel like around Christmas time, I'd always, always just pray. I'd say, pray, Lord, this year may there be people that have never worshipped you, never lifted up your name in praise and recognize the birth of Christ. May that happen this year. And sometimes we have to, to do costly things um, that others might know. So there, there's these ideas that, of worship, glory, of dedicating, of offering, of sacrifice. So how do we, again, how, what does this look like? How do, how do we do this? What does it mean to worship God? Well, to, to glory in God means that we desire the whole of who we are and what we do to bring Him glory and to point others to Him. It's one of those things, just that we love Him most, or to offer, to dedicate, to yield. It's, again, that intentional, active, public declaration of offering us, ourselves to the Lord. Sometimes, I've heard it said, offering the Lord, say, my life, I want it to be a blank check before you. And I used to think that idea of being a blank check meant you have to go overseas, or you have to be in full-time ministry, and different things like that, but it, it, that's not all there is, <laughs> You don't have to earn a t-shirt for it to be sacrificial. It can be small things. And sometimes, sometimes I think offering and sacrifice and worship to God, yeah, sometimes it looks radical, but sometimes it looks ordinary and unnoticed, but it always looks faithful. And I think that's how we can think about it. Um, where the Lord has called us, may we be faithful in it. And if you remember a few weeks back, I read a quote of, of a, a gal um, who just looked at her church community, and she might not have said it was radical, but she said that it was faithful. And she looked at them, and she spoke about their tangible, beautiful generosity that they show all those around them in unnoticed, unimpressive, unmarketable, and unrevolutionary ways, but at the same time, faithfulness to Jesus, giving in the ways that God has called us to and being faithful in that. And then sacrificing. Again, we sacrifice for... To sacrifice to God means that we surrender to Him. We surrender all to Him. At times it's costly, often costly. We give to Him as we look to the glory that we see of our God in the face of Jesus Christ and we can't help but say, yeah, I want to give you glory. I want to follow you. Because in you, I find my greatest joy, my hope, and my peace. And I want to worship you. So also as we think, as we gather together, what does it look like to worship God passionately, both, both together and also 
as we worship God on our own? What are some elements? What does it look like? And I think there's three different things. One of them is that it is God-focused. It, it points to God. Psalm 115.1 one says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So it's God-focused. It's not man-focused. It's not about us. You're not going to get a lot of um, your best life now type sermons here. They're going to point us to God and His glory. And then also they're they're gospel-centered or they're Christ-centered. They're those that that focus on Jesus Christ. Because there there are people around the world that say that they believe in God and maybe even worship God, but that can mean all sorts of things. But to clarify who we worship, that we worship Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Think of Christ who said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Christ who is Emmanuel, God with us. And so we will always see Christ in the center of our songs and our prayer and our worship and, our, and, the, and the preaching as we, we point to Jesus. And it's only, those, only through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through Him who was fully God, fully man, that died for us on the cross and rose again, paying the penalty for our sin, that we might come before a holy God and worship Him. So Christ-centered. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the preacher of old, the prince of preachers, he said this, the motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and Him crucified. So he's quoting Paul there. A sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's like... A sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour. So I guess it's gluten-free bread. I don't know. I'm sure if Spurgeon, he was a funny guy, and I'm sure he would have said that a sermon without Christ is like gluten-free bread. So a gluten-free cake, even worse. Oh, my goodness, I'm sorry if you have to to go that route. Um, God's mercy. All right. And then finally, and then also, so God-centered, Christ-centered, and then it needs to edify, encourage one another. We need to be built up that when we leave, that we have encouraged one another, that we know Christ more. And as Paul said, we're not to neglect. Or we should consider how we stir one another up. This is in Hebrews, I'm sorry. In Hebrews, we should, not, uh, we should stir one another up toward love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Uh, may we do that and be about that. And then finally, Today, how do we become passionate worshipers? And I, I kind of boil it down to a couple of things. Well, it begins first with a walk with Christ. How do we worship what begins at a point of recognizing that we need Jesus? Um, that we are those who are far from Him. We need His forgiveness and we need His hope. We need Jesus. And Jesus said, turn to repent and believe. To turn from your sins and trust in Me. And that begins our worship. And then as we continue though we continue to know God more and also come to Him humbly. There's a picture of that that I found read in, just in my Bible reading. It was either last week or this week in Second Chronicles and um, chapter 30. And in Chronicles, it, it tells about both Israel and the nation of Israel and Judah. And especially focuses on Judah and 
their kings, there were a lot of kings that rebelled from the Lord. They did evil in the sight of God. But then there were those who returned to the Lord and brought the people back in worship. And in Second Chronicles, this is, there's this story of Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was a godly king, and he wanted to restore right worship to the people. And they realized that they hadn't been keeping the Passover festival of worship to God. And they decided, we need to have the Passover. It's not really the right time of year, but we're going to go ahead and have Passover. And they began to, to learn and figure out and make plans. And then they sent people out to go tell people throughout the land to come and worship God. And this is in Second Chronicles 30, verse 6. It says, to them, this message went out, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the rem- remnant of you who, are, who have escaped from the land of the king of Assyria. And then it just continues to go on and call people, hey, we're going to worship the Lord. Come back to them and find God's compassion. Come return He is gracious and merciful, and there's this call to come back. So they go out throughout the land and with this message to come and and take part in the Passover. Uh, But then it says, as they go on out, it says that the people, that they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. So this message is going out, and a lot of the people, they just made fun of them. They're like, we're not going to do that. We're going to travel. And No, I don't know what you're talking about. But then it says, However, some of the men of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulon humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. So there are those that that humbled themselves and they're like, yes, we'll go. So they go and they make preparations and they tear down idols that were there and they begin and they get ready to do the Passover and the priests and the Levites, they consecrate themselves so they'll be holy and be able to, to offer the Passover. But then it says that there are some that ate of the Passover and they were not yet clean. They hadn't gone through all of the steps and they realized, oh, they haven't gone through everything they needed to. And they know that, that, the, that they need to follow the law. So Hezekiah says that Hezekiah prayed for them and said, May the God, Lord, pardon everyone who has set his heart to seek the Lord and the Lord, to seek the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary rules and, clean, and cleanness. So they recognized they hadn't done it all right. It says, Lord, pardon them. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. So then it says that they, the Lord is gracious. He was merciful to them. And then they just go on to worship. It says that, that for seven days they worshipped the Feast of Unleavened Bread with great gladness. And they praised the Lord, singing with all their might. And then when the seven days ended, they decided, let's not stop there. Let's go another seven days. And it says, so they kept it for another seven days with gladness. And then later it talks about them, that they rejoiced, that they, there was great joy in Jerusalem. Like, hadn't been since the time of Solomon, the son of King David. And I just think of this story. So there's those that go out and they say, hey, come and join in the Passover. Come into worship of God, the one true God. And some are like, bah, well, you're crazy. Mocked and laughed. And others humbled their hearts before the Lord and they went and they worshiped. And there was exceeding joy and gladness. And they entered in. I just think of how 
we have opportunities of entering into worship of our God and, and to be before His Word and be in prayer. And they are conduits of His grace that He calls us to. But may we, we humble ourselves and say, Lord, what have You called me to do? And may I worship You. And as we grow, as we know Him, that we might be those who passionately worship Him. And we, will, we, we are those who we will be worshiping something. something because we are worshipers at heart, but may we worship the one true God and worship Him truly and in Him find great joy in our God, who is the creator of all things. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank You. Lord, You are our creator. You've made us in our image. You've made us to worship. And Lord, we confess that we ascribe worship to a lot of things that just are not worthy that leave us empty, that leave us farther from you than when we began. We confess that. Lord, help us to humble our hearts even today to recognize and even confess ways and things that we've been worshiping that that you've not called us to. Lord, help us to worship you. Help us to be still before you, to rest before you and to know you and humble our hearts that we might be even stirred up to, not out of duty, but out of great joy, worship you because of who you are and what you've done and the, the grace upon grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to neglect times of worship, both personally and, and as we gather together. Lord, I pray as well, if there are any that, that are here that have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that you would convict their hearts and turn them to you from both... From, from young to old, I pray that, that they might enter into true worship this year. Lord, I pray that you'd use us as a church that worships you passionately, that you would enable us to be instruments of, of your grace and mercy, that we would see those who have never known the joy of Jesus that this year that in 2022 that they would know. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we, we continue in worship, and we, we do worship Him as we come before the Lord's Supper to take of the bread and the cup. It is 